This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review scenes from the second story by the God Machine. It's just absolutely soaked in reverb. I mean, this is a long album. There are a lot of moments on here where they sound a lot like Jane's Addiction. It's indulgent. It's really indulgent. And there's a lot to really like about this album. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and once again, joining me, my co-host, Jason Ziak. Jay, I am uh, I feel like I'm getting really good at those intros. Like They're sounding like all professional and stuff. <laughs> they sound exactly the same every week. I try to I try to change the cadence slightly or the, the level of the, of enthusiasm. <laughs> I just tweak it just a tiny bit, but I think I'm yeah. settling into a nice groove with those. It, it's it's sounding good, Tim. I usually ask uh, every other episode um, what you're drinking. Uh huh. I'm curious because just recently. The um, Pennsylvania lager known as Yingling was introduced into the Ohio market. And I'm wondering if you're enjoying a Yingling right now. Uh, I am not, although I'm not sure what everybody's going to talk about now whenever they visit New York or Pennsylvania. <laughs> They'll just come back and have nothing to say, because usually when they come back, they're like, yeah, I had Yingling, or I brought some Yingling back, or Yingling in this, or Yingling in that. Now they're just going to come back and... So yeah, I went to Pennsylvania. Um, tonight I've unleashed the Kraken. Oh, a little Kraken and some Diet Pepsi. Nice. Yeah. I actually did go with a Yingling tonight. Bought some over the weekend, so. Uh, I had some on draft this weekend. It, it was it was. I mean, for uh, would you can it, for a lager, it's 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 about as good as you can get. So. Well. You know, I'm not really that much of a imbiber of alcohol, so I find Yingling to be pretty palatable. Um, there's a lot of beers that are a little too strong for me, or you know, just not my taste. Mm-hmm. And this sort of hits the, a nice sweet spot of not really being watered down, you know, crap that you would get for you know 4.99 for a six pack, certain beers, and it's not. Uh, it's not overly powerful that you have to be a connoisseur of, you know, specialty beers that are microbrewed in, in the middle of Bulgaria or something. No, it's, um, it's in the ballpark of like a Stella in terms of, you know, yeah. hopefully everybody will have it. And, uh, it, you know, it's better than a Budweiser and uh, it's a little bit richer, I think than a Stella, but, uh, yeah, no, it's good. It's here. And it's, it's nice that it's everywhere. So, just uh, another option other than Bud or Miller Lite is, is always good. Yeah, and we're in a town that's, I don't, people probably don't know this about Columbus, but we're in a beer brewing town um, right down the street. Well, not right down the street, but... The, the, the streets and rivers flow with beer. Yeah. So, I mean, we're not exactly Milwaukee in terms of being known. But that's we do have a brewery doing. district. Yeah, we have a brewery district. Well, there, there's no breweries actually there anymore. They're all other places. Now it's all... They're in the short north. Yeah, it's all posh now. It's not... Uh, the <laughs> district has is, is kicked out all of the actual, you know, working people. Let's get to tonight's, uh, or this evening's or this morning's or whenever you're listening to this. Time is, is completely irrelevant, really. Let's get to this request. Time is irrelevant. Yes. Especially when you're talking, when you're reviewing music that's 20 years old. True. 
I guess isn't a request. This is a suggestion that we got from Gary Hanna over Twitter, and he suggested we check out a band called The God Machine. Now, Jay, had you ever heard of The God Machine before this? No, but what's the difference between a suggestion and a request? I, I Well, I think of a request as like you call in a radio hotline, like, I want to request you guys play, you know. But that's what he did. Oh. He did that over Twitter. I, I think of it as more of like a current thing. Like, a request is happening now. I'm requesting that you do this now. Whereas the suggestion is like, hey, I suggest you guys might want to get to this at some point. That's my that's my differentiation. Wow, that makes no sense. The sense of urgency. But anyway. Yeah. That's how my weird brain works. Anyways, yeah, I see that. That was that was fascinating. So Gary, okay, anyway. So Gary suggested The God Machine, which you and I have both never heard of. So... We're gonna it, sounded, it sounded familiar, but then I realized that I was thinking of the uh, Eureka Machine. And I was thinking of God Lives Underwater. So <laughs> combine those two, maybe you get God Machine, maybe you don't. Who knows? But let's get into the God Machine's history of the band. Uh, God Machine formed in, Jay, you want to take a shot at where they're from? Oh, wow. Good question didn't occur to me listening to the record um oh man I, I guess best guess would be uk wow you're close i mean you're you're close but not so they were originally all from san diego california um there's three members robin proper shepherd who was originally born gary shepherd changed his name to robin proper uh oh was, boy he sang guitar or he sang and played guitar Jimmy Fernandez on bass and Ronald Austin on drums. They had previously been in a in a band called Society Line that had a second guitarist named Albert Aman. Um, but in the early '90s, bored with the San Diego music scene, uh, Robin Proper Shepherd moved to New York City and lived there for a year with his bandmates Jimmy Fernandez and Ronald Austin. Following uh, shortly after. But because of obviously New York City's expensive and they weren't really um, making anything happen in New York City, they decided on a whim to move to London and found a squat that they lived in for an extended period of time, basically busking in the street um, to make money. They scraped, scraped up enough money to make an uh, EP, which was called Purity, and eventually got released on the Eve record label. This got them a recording contract with Fiction Records, which released uh, both of their albums. The first one, which we're reviewing, is Scenes from the Second Story. It came out in 1993. It reached number 55 on the UK charts. Um, and then they released in 1994, One Last Laugh in a Place of Dying. Now, I'm, I'm not clear on this, but either during the recording of the second album or slightly after, um, I believe they were recording in Prague, uh, the second album, Jimmy Fernandez was taken to a hospital and within a day died from a cancerous brain tumor. Um, the band pretty much ended at that point. The lead singer, uh, Robin Proper Shepherd, um, opened or started a record label called The Flower Shop. And has since then 
uh, started two different bands. Sophia was one band, and the May Queens was another band that he's been in. Um, both of these albums have never been reissued. They've been they've been out of print since they were originally issued, so they're kind of hard to find. So, so Jay, you were kind of right. This this definitely has a UK connection, although they're originally Americans. Well, what was throwing me is that um, I guess we can start rolling in the review here. What was throwing me is that there's like riffs and. I guess just um, elements of the style of of the music that sounds American, mm-hmm. but the production is, I guess you could say, you know, pretty shoegaze in terms of it's just absolutely soaked in reverb, and yeah. the cool riffs are repeated over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over <laughs> for like on average five to six minutes um so it's kind of like an american you know i guess california i mean yeah it makes sense like american california style you know kids take on how to do that kind of music in some ways yeah there's a lot of influences that i think went into making this record not that they're ripping anybody off you know in particular but you can hear there's a metal influence, there's a prog influence, there's some of that like weird Jane's Addiction psychedelic sound yeah. going on. But then you'll hear stuff and it, it's kind of industrial and you're like, wow, that almost sounds like ministry or you know, some sort of like electronic band. And it's I mean, this is a three piece. I'm I'm guessing, you know, in the studio they were doing a lot of layering of stuff, but terms of guitars and it's all sorts of ambient sounds on various tracks and loops and stuff but samples and stuff yeah yeah samples the um there are a lot of of moments on here where they sound a lot like jane's addiction yeah um jane's addiction minus the sort of funk and jam indulgences that 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 jane's addiction is also known for if you if you remove those parts from jane's addiction and went with the, I guess, darker, harder sounding stuff, um, especially vocally. I, I think his vocal delivery, the way the vocals are produced, um, the way the guitar sound, you know, the guitar sound is a very, uh, like, digital distortion with tons and tons of delay and reverb on top of it. Um, in some ways, it reminds me of, uh, what's his name from Jane's Addiction? Dave Navarro. Dave Navarro. Um, his sound. Uh, minus like, again though minus any of the funk sort of leanings this is way more um stri- i don't want to say straightforward rock but it's, it's more centered in and i guess sabbath and sort of rock riffs that sort of school of like dark guitar you know sounds but i definitely heard a lot of chains addiction in it yeah track two especially um she said yeah that could almost be like a lost chains addiction song it's so right in that wheelhouse.
way he's singing, the music, and it's the most, I think it's like the most conventional song. It's, I mean, this is a long album. This album clocks in over 79 minutes, which for a CD, that's almost max running time. They basically use almost 80 <laughs> really? minutes. 80 minutes is a max running time on a, on a CD. So they well, basically I... used every possible second they could. And, you know, probably halfway through this, three quarters way through this album, when I was sort of doing my uh, notes, the ver- you know, I review, I listened to it a bunch of times, but then the, the, the time I really, really focus and take notes, about halfway or three quarters away through that time, I just remember thinking, man, this is like work. <laughs> like, no other album up until this point for doing this podcast has that crossed my mind. It's just been sort of fun to, you know, you're listening to music. It's fun. And like on this album, I was like, man, I feel like I'm like, this is a job. This is a lot of work. And then I looked down at the uh, the, the track listings and I'm like, oh, Jesus, I haven't even gotten to the 16 minute song yet. Yeah. If it had <laughs> ended before the 16 minute song, this would have been a lot more palatable album. But when you yeah. hit song 10, and you've already invested, I mean, every song except for one is over four and a half minutes long. Sorry, I'm sorry, two of them. There's two shorter songs. Tracks four and 10 are, are shorter. Uh, but every other song is four and a half minutes or longer. So you're talking about the first 10 songs, talking about over 40 minutes. Then you hit a 16-minute song, and then you hit an eight-minute song. So those songs 11 and 12 comprise almost like a third of the album in terms of its running time. Yeah. That's a lot. And to be quite honest, you know, I liked a lot of the record, but once I hit track like 10, I was done. Those last three songs, and this, this thing that's kind of bad about that is Purity, which is track 12, was the original like single that on an EP that got them signed. And I read a lot about how people were like, you know, they would, they heard that song, they were thought it was amazing, because it has like a, uh, it's got like a five-minute intro with a cello and and some random stuff going on, and then the it's song like, sort of begins after five minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's literally it's eight minutes long, and four minutes of it are essentially, I guess, classical music. Yeah. In terms of like, you know, the makeup of what's going on there, violin, cello. Um, that kind of thing acoustic guitar i think is mixed in then at four minutes they sort of like get quiet and then the band comes in and plays another four minute song yeah it's it's kind of insane it's indulgent Um, it's really indulgent and there's a lot to really like about this album um i circled in terms of the songs that i liked like five out of the first six songs i really liked them and well i like half of the songs yeah, I, mean, I like I basically ha- like half, half of, the album. But I mean, I like ha- oh, I like, like half of almost every song. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Well, yeah, because... You know what I mean? Well, yeah. It's like at, at three and a half minutes, I'm like, okay, I've heard the song. And it goes on for another three and a half minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but it just keeps playing the same parts again. And I'm like, why? I've heard these parts a thousand times. I liked them the first time. Why do I need to hear them, you know, 12 more times? Right. I, I like I like them less every time you keep playing them. I, I did hear some, you know, these guys were from California, and, um, you know, we mentioned metal and prog. I, I, I heard, in terms of the riffing that he's doing on guitar, 
Um, mm-hmm. Some of that like California stoner metal on like the first song, Dream Machine, which reminded yeah. me of oh, yeah. Caius's Green Machine, just in terms of this like repetitive hypnotic riff that's going on. Track four has got a huge riff. Um, yeah. Very Zeppelin, very Sabbath sounding. Um, it also reminded me some of that stuff we were listening to with Grunt Truck in terms of like the early, early grunge that was definitely like Sabbath influenced. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard that on, like you said, tracks four and then track six, Home. It was in this halftime, had like this metal riff to it. I heard some other weird sort of disparate um, influences. Track five, the desert song, um, it's kind of repetitive. It's basically a Tom-driven song, and it has this melodic bass line that just sort of repeats over and over again. And it kind of reminded yeah. me of, like, Joy Division or early New Order, um, the way that the, so, ba- the bass is really up front and drives yeah, the song. Yeah, the, the, the bass is up front actually quite a bit on this album and you know that song in particular that's another example of it comes in you're like wow this is i love this this sounds awesome
nothing else ever happens. Right. I mean, essentially, it's that part over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> it's like, really? Um, you know, they may go into another, some of the songs, they go into another part, but, you know, it's kind of not, it's not as catchy as where they start with. Um, so this was, I, you know, so, so for me, that's what's um, so challenging about this album is that in a lot of cases, the songs start off really cool. But, you know, a minute to two minutes in, you're like, all right, I think I just heard the best parts. And there you go on for another three. I mean, I even like, I'm not a big sample guy in terms of, you know, it usually doesn't do much for me. But there's some samples in this on this album that really, they sort of work with the mood and they kind of pull you in. Um, you know, just some sort of dialogue from movies and things. I'm not quite sure what they are, but... You know that really are effective but then you know it kind of doesn't i don't know it doesn't pay off for me so, it, it, there's enough here to draw you in but there's not enough to actually kind of you know make it work in the end of the day and make you feel like oh wow that was a great song i feel like they're a cross between a band that's trying to be sort of an intelligent like proggy metal band and then also a band that wants to do really psychedelic stuff. Yeah. Really. They're kind of like kind of like Tool without the without the musical chops. Right. That's what I was getting at. Like they definitely have like you mentioned that they have the Jane's Addiction aspect to them but without the funk and what they remind me of especially in the drumming is like using a lot of the toms the way that Danny Carey does in Tool and yeah. you know playing off of um, a kind of like a tribal influence yeah. in terms of the drumming. Um, you yeah. get that like at the uh, the end of uh, track three. It's mostly a slow song for like four minutes and then for like four or four and a half minutes. And then for like the last minute 40, it, it double times and brings in this like tribal beat and um, totally different from the rest of the song. And it actually gets really cool at that point. Yeah. like you could probably edit a lot of these songs down and not hurt them and make a little bit more of a concise album because i actually like listening to the album as almost some kind of like background music because it's oh, sure yeah it's it's sort of riding at this same um uh feel throughout the whole thing and it gets loud at some points but even the loudness of it because you're mentioning that the guitars are so like reverby and stuff that they don't get that you know 
crushingly loud the way you would listen to like you know master of puppets or something like that they're they're a lot more um it it doesn't they don't cut through so if you have it cranked in your headphones and you're doing work or whatever yeah there's no point in the album where you know it gets annoying right sometimes if there's something where depending on what you're doing you know and if uh, some riff comes through, you're like, uh, you know, it's kind of throwing me here. I need something that's a little bit, you know, less in my face. They're more reminiscent of really... shoegaze than than anything, I think. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was getting at early on with, you know, when you asked me where they're from, and, and now it makes total sense. Um, you know, this is a, to me, it's an, an American West Coast band that that grew up, you know, on Sabbath and riffs and sort of a classic rock education uh started to maybe get into like some alternative things learned about shoegaze that kind of stuff got into into that style of music moved it to london and and put all that together with that style of production that's you know shoegaze style production and and that's basically what the album sounds like yeah you know so what label was this on fiction records yeah i'm not really familiar (laughs) with fiction records so interesting yeah let's get into what we normally end with let's get into why this album wasn't bigger um it definitely had the potential to be something um it came out in 93 so you're talking about this is the same year that porno for pyro's first album came out so there were and and you know you had soundgarden hadn't even put out super unknown yet i mean you had the potential to make like a heavy rock album with influences from shoegaze and metal and and psychedelic and sort of slip it in there if the if the if you had a hook and i think the issue is that there's really not a big hook to any of the songs there's some cool parts and there's some you know i i the the, the one thing that remind that i remember is in the song out that he starts screaming out over and over again. Yeah. That's like the most memorable sort of <laughs> that was painful. vocal. Um, when he got to that part, I was like, oh my God, he's killing me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess in terms of, uh, you know, this band and this question that we bring up, it, it may be more appropriate to say, why weren't they more influential? Because... I think we've we reviewed enough we've reviewed enough bands here where their intention is not to be commercial, but they end up being influential. So right. say Bark Market, I, I think they're the best one of the best or Band of Susans. You know, obviously they're not trying to write pop songs. Um, you know, they may have some pop influences, but at the end of the day, they're not expecting to be an MTV. Um, I, I would <laughs> I would think this band is well aware that they're not going to be that type of have that type of career um so why weren't they more influential say you know i think the last review we did a bark market we sort of proved out you know through talking to neil that you know in a lot of ways this this band was significant because they were influential they influenced other bands and they also you know the producer went on to you know take his talents onto other endeavors that were you know significant from a right pop standpoint you know, so I guess for the question of this band is, why weren't they more influential, and why, you know, why didn't the, even the members of this band go on to do something um, even greater? 
Well, I probably start with they're on a label that we've never heard of. That doesn't help. Yep. The, the album's out of print, so it's not easy to get to. I did, when I was searching on this band to find out information, I did find like a metal forum where people were like, talk about bands that, you know, nobody knows about. And so, there was a whole thread about God Machine and how, you know, this is a band that I really liked from back in the day. Nobody's ever heard of them, but if you're into like certain bands, you're probably going to, and they did like a review of both their albums. And, um, you know, people were like, oh, I'll have to check that out. So I think that this could appeal to people who, you know, are into metal and maybe the more the, the progier side. I don't know. If you were in like Dream Theater, would this be a band that you might be interested in? Cause you're, no. No? So they're not. I know. I mean, you, you want prog. something that's more like. I don't consider this proggy at all. I mean, the parts repeat too many times. It's long. I mean, yeah, it has that in common with being with prog music is that the songs are long but it's the same part it, it, you know it's essentially two maybe three parts repeated for five to six minutes so if you were into like tool and caius those might be bands think, that you'd, you'd want to i think this would be like isn't this more like sisters of mercy or something like that or i guess even coming from a more like industrial or because i mean you did bring up industrial music which we haven't yeah. really talked about like why is it why is it similar to industrial and well track eight temptation sounds like an industrial song i mean it's 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 an instrumental track it reminded me a lot of like late 70s early 80s post-punk in the vein of like cabaret voltaire and pill and throbbing gristle like these like it's real noisy um Mm -hmm. probably the most abrasive song on the album album is actually kind of not pretty but it's it's even if it's heavy it's not necessarily abrasive uh but that, yeah, that I mean, song there's, is there's abrasive. so much reverb it can't be abrasive yeah if you watch something in enough reverb it's like so distant that you know it can't be abrasive it offends it's, it's you it's been soft and softened so much right but i think the re- the repetition which i you know that's just a pet peeve of mine some people will really like that i mean obviously that's one of the big things about industrial music it's very and dance music and electronic music is that it's very repetitive that's the whole point um that it kind of you know repetitive music personally kind of drives me like literally a little bit insane (laughs) like i need to hear variety um some people like that if you like that you know, and if you happen to like, you know, sort of industrial music, but maybe want a little bit more of an organic feel, like a band playing from time to time, and um, you know, this might be might be something you're into. It's definitely not mechanical. No. You know? They repeat things, and but it's still very organic. Like it sounds like a band, which is 
know, that that aspect of it is pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, it's not a drum machine. It's not a, yeah, it it's, it's got a human element that, that the three genres that you mentioned, uh, electronic, industrial, and dance, they tend to not have a human feel to them. Mm-hmm. They sound like, you know, computers making music, which I just insulted Did... a massive amount of people by <laughs> saying that. Oh, well. But, On track 13, piano song, did you get like kind of the first time you really listened to that and focused on that tune? Did you kind of get your hopes up that something like really cool was going to happen and then get totally let down that nothing happens? Nothing happens. It's the same part over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> because it had a piano in it. And I was like, oh, this is going to be different. Yeah. And then nothing yeah. happened. The same thing. This, the track with the strings in it. I was like, oh, wow, this is different. This is kind of a nice. It was kind of refreshing. You know, you just. A lot, of, you know, a lot of the album starts to sound. At that point, you're maybe 60, 50 some minutes into the album, and you're like, "Oh, okay, this is different." Strings and cello, and you know, you get the piano song, and then you realize, like, "Oh, this is not really going anywhere." Like, the guy playing the piano really only has those, you know, that those two bass lines, and he plays this three note melody over the whole thing, and he's, "Oh, is he actually going to play that for six minutes?" Okay. I'll cut him as a slack. It's only a three-minute-long song. So, <laughs> okay, three minutes. But as a coda to the album, it could have been a little bit more. Um, yeah. So, all right. Well, I guess this is, um, you know, there's a lot of elements that we liked about this album, and then there are elements that we found disappointing. So I, I'm interested to check out the second album um, that came out. I think it was just like... A year, yeah, it came out a year later. So, I'm interested to hear whole, where they went with that. My whole sense of timing between 1990 and 1993 is completely screwed up. Like, apparently, just a ton. Maybe because that was the time I was in high school, but like, it just seems like way more stuff happened during those three years than this than is possible. Like it's amazing to me that this came out in '93 and. Well, yeah, there was a war. The por- and, porno uh, for pyros, came, porno for, for pyros came out in '93. Yeah. Like, to me, that seems like it should have came out in like maybe '95, '96. Oh wait, Jay, but, we're setting the record straight here. I know. I gotta get my head straight <laughs> in terms of the, in terms of the. Uh, it's what you want to do. It's so confusing. You want to dedicate a wall in your house and you want to create a timeline. And you just want to like draw a little line every time we talk about an album. So you're like, oh yeah, that I, that came out here. And then you draw like where you were. Yeah, that's a good idea. I need to do something like that. That would help me keep things straight. Because at the last episode, I argued with you about uh, when uh, that Red Hot Chili Peppers album came out, mm-hmm. and I still it still amazes me. What was it? You said it was like it was ninety one. Ninety one. That's that seems insane. See, I know that because I remember listening to it in high school. Uh, I, I was introduced to the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Eric Johnson's Avia Musicom and Public Enemies, Apocalypse 91, The Enemy Strikes Black, all in like the span of a month. So that's a lot to digest in a month. Yeah. I mean, I guess now that I'm thinking about it, I guess it makes sense, but... Ugh. It's just, I don't know, for some reason that album to me again seems like it was later. Yeah, like I think of like maybe Mother's Milk coming out in '91, and then that album coming out maybe in '94. But I guess not. 
It's okay, Jay. Yeah. It's just the we're getting old and time is accelerating oh, at, at a no. greater rate than it is. It is. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it. No, it's freaking me out. Yeah. In the time that we've done this podcast, we've actually both turned 40. That's how <laughs> fast time is going. Oh, <laughs> uh, it wasn't that long. So, all right, we're going to wrap it up on God Machine. That's two, uh, I would say, middle-of-the-road thumbs-ups. Sort of, we kind of liked it, but kind of would like to have gotten a little more out of it, or a little less, actually. With thumb neutral. Um, We want to thank Gary for bringing this to us, and hopefully uh, in the coming years we'll get to that second God Machine album. We have so many bands that we have to get to their other album. That, uh, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we might have to start a, a secondary podcast. Just we'll call it Dig Me Out, the second album. Where we do we're, five minute reviews of the second album. We find two hosts that are sort of like us, like uh, Coy and Vance from Dukes of <laughs> Hazard. To be Jim and yes. Todd. That is excellent. Coy and Vance. <laughs> I love that. Or, or Mason and T- Mason and Jim. What is Mason and Jim? Jason and Tim. Oh, oh. Mason and Jim. Good call. Good call. All right. Well, if you have a suggestion like Gary and you want to uh, have us listen to it, shoot us an email, digmeoutpodcast at gmail.com, and uh, we'll take it under consideration for a future podcast. Thanks, Jay, for joining me once again. That's That's Mason. That's Mason. Thanks, Mason. And we'll be back. Thanks. We'll be back next week on another episode of Dig Me Out. Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation about this episode. Visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. If I show you the truth, will you show me the beauty? I'll show you the pain, will you show me the purity? If I show you the scars,